Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1134, with guest Aaron Stannard. Recorded Friday, April 10th, 2015. They're off. Hey, Richard. Buddy. How you doing? I'm, you know, hanging along here. Wow, the year's going by really fast, and we're getting into the crazy conference season, so. You oh, know. and what a good conference season it's going to be, isn't There's it? There's so many things happening at once. I'm jugg- I know I'm going to have to end up juggling shows around, because we're going to be able to do some announcements and stuff as things come into place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have I, don't, a- I don't know what to talk about first. It's crazy. That's true. Well, and some things we can't talk about. That's what's even crazier. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I'm feeling like now we're going to start having shows in the can that I can't even put on the schedule until we're allowed to talk about till announcements come out. Let's just say it's going to be a good year for .NET developers. <sighs> it's been so much fun. Yeah. All right. All right, man. Let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude. What do you got? Well, I went looking for some good current articles, and yeah. uh, I found one that isn't directly related to Akka.net or even the actor model. But, you know, a lot of um, games are programmed with the actor model. It makes a lot of sense. Sure, yeah. And so I found a great series of articles on CodeProject.com about Unity 3D. Okay. This is from April 4th. So, so brand new. Yep, five stars, 62 votes, and the average is 4.96. Just people love this article. This is from Vahe Karamian. And I'm sorry, Vahe, if I'm mispronouncing your name, but um, because I'm a stupid white guy from Connecticut. <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, this is a great article. I started uh, reading it and, you know, I didn't go through the walkthrough. But if you go to tinyurl.com slash unity walkthrough, unity walkthrough, U-N-I-T-Y, walkthrough, T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Just like it sounds, this is a ten-part article with wow. with uh, pictures and images and code and all that stuff. And it's it an opus. You, it's great. It shows you how to, you know, uh, if you were going to learn Unity, you could go to uh, I don't know, you know, Plural Site or you know, watch a video or something. But if you're a reader and you want to go at a faster pace, this is a good option. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're talking about it's funny I I literally had drinks with a group of uh, of geeky types last night and one of them was a unity programmer we were talking about the challenges of actually building code that runs on multiple platforms and yeah. unity helps there but nothing's for free you know yeah always have to jump through some hoops yeah you have hoops wherever you go but at yeah. least you, you know it's it's pretty pretty compelling they have a model for you to build something to work iOS Android WinPhone Yep. Windows, Mac, like there's, there's a model. There's a model. By the way, Kerbal Space Program, the game I'm currently obsessed with. Oh, yeah. Unity game. Really cool. Yeah. Wow. That's what I got, my friend. Cool. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1058, the one we did with Mr. Roger Alsing when we talked about Akka.net. 
What do you know about that? What do you know? Funniest thing, huh? And Sean Inns down, from down in Australia had this great comedy. He says, another great show topic. I previously looked into Orleans, that's the Microsoft technology, yep. for use in some large-scale projects I've been working on. And ACA.net looks really promising. My whole weekend has just been sunk into R&D and comparing the pros and cons of ACA.net versus Orleans. Hmm. As with a lot of Microsoft research projects, Orleans seems a bit guarded about where it's headed, whereas ACA.net being open source, it's a lot easier to see what's there and compare it to the JVM ACA project, which, yeah. of course, you know, ACA.net ACA comes from somewhere. The one thing that Orleans seems to have over ACA.net at this stage anyway is the transparency of the actor instantiation, monitoring, and supervision. And then Sean actually asks Roger directly, uh, Roger, do you see this as an area that would be added into ACA.net or do you see it as a very application-specific function which would be implemented by end-user developers? I'm currently creating a self-healing, cloud-scale, proof-of-concept and reference app Something I think I want on the show, mm, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, because it feels like it's the early days of the .NET community for large-scale distributed apps when compared to the JVM. Mm -hmm. And Roger answered us. This admittedly is six months ago. So I think we can probably get the scoop directly from Aaron now. <laughs> but this is what Roger said at the time. We're currently discussing how to deal with monitoring in ACA.NET. In the JVM ACA, monitoring is dealt with using aspect-oriented programming. Of course, right? That is, right. they inject performance counter calls into whatever part of the system they want to measure. We could do that in .NET, but personally, I think AOP is a bit too arcane for the average developer. I would not disagree with that. So we will most likely add built-in monitoring support for actor lifecycle and mailbox stats and other parts of the core system. Aaron Standard, who the hell is that? Who is that guy? I don't know. <laughs> is building an experimental monitoring module that he uses in his own production system. And he provides a link to the GitHub where it was. I'm sure that's all changed now. This was months ago. Supervision and fault handling built into ACA.net. And that's part of the main project. And here are some of the biggest differences between Orleans and ACA. Orleans focuses more on scale. Remember that Orleans was that the tool that was used to scale the Halo, big Halo launch, the multiplayer Halo stuff, um, you know. And gamers, you know, huge amount of performance, lots and lots of instances. And that's where Orleans really came from. So Orleans focuses mostly on scale, most almost autopilot scaling, since virtual actors can migrate to the node where they are closest to its interactors. Orleans also supports distributed transactions out of the box that could have its use cases, even if consensus in the distributed system community is that distributed transactions are bad for scaling, which they are. No two ways about it. Uh, ACA gives more control. You can optimize for locality, more focus on concurrency, using routers for fine-grained work of distribution, more focus on fault handling, where actors that belong together can be restarted in a known-to-work state together. Okay. Uh, by taking locality into account, you can get a lot more out of an ACA system than out of an Orleans system using the same hardware. But, of course, I am biased. Mm. <laughs> biased by research. <laughs> and biased by this. He put his heart and soul into making ACA what it is. Uh, let me wrap this up, and I, I think we really need to talk to Aaron about this, because I think it's an important set of milestones on where ACA actually gone. So, uh, Sean, thank you so much for your comment. The Rocks mug is on the way to you. In fact, I think we tried to send you one before, but something went wrong. We'll have to figure that out. If you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, Android, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest, Aaron Stannard, who we've already heard about, is the CTO and co-founder of Petabridge, where he makes distributed programming for .NET developers easy 
by creating application programming frameworks such as Akka.net and Helios. Prior to Petabridge, Aaron founded Marked Up Analytics, a real-time in-app marketing and analytics service used by a thousand plus developers. He's also worked at Microsoft as a startup developer evangelist. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you very much for having me, Carl and Rich. So this is quite a quite a thing you've built here, uh, Aka.net. People are really are, are really re- it's really resonating with people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've been a little astonished, actually, at just sort of how um, how many people have come out of the woodwork to really start using it. And I've been asking a lot of really insightful questions about distributed systems that I, I honestly wouldn't have expected from .NET developers. Um, it's been so it's really been pretty transformative for for me as a as a lifelong .NET programmer. Uh, but it's also clearly started to have a big impact on the types of conversations .NET developers are having about the sorts of software they can build. As with any uh, technology pattern or what have you, the actor model was really interesting to me, and I immediately related it to the sort of the message pump in the Windows API. Some of the first programming that I did in Windows was, you know, Windows API programming, and. Uh, you uh, there's a there's a loop essentially where a window gets messages that come from the system and then does things to react to those messages and it, it sort of when i was when we were talking with Roger about this that is what the image that came to mind you know that was my mental model for the actor model is that a, a fairly accurate description yes absolutely it's the fundamental the fundamental trait of, of actors, I mean, there's there's three, but the biggest one is message, you know, basically a message passing based system. Um, so the notion of all of your programming is done in reaction to a message you're receiving is really fundamental to the actor model. So yeah, that's exactly right. You see the message thing uh, creeping into otherwise object oriented systems like uh, like uh, MVVM Lite. He's got yeah, a exactly. yeah. He's got a great message passing communication service between uh, layers in an application, and that just made perfect sense to me. Yeah, absolutely, and it's and it's no accident that we're starting to see more of of that message passing model emerge in .NET. Uh, one of the things that's really important about the Aka.NET 1.0 release that happened yesterday in the blog post we did on uh, Petabridge's site sort of describing what it really means is we talk about bringing the concepts from the reactive manifesto uh, to .NET. And so the reactive manifesto is TypeSafe. That's the company that invented Akka, and they also invented uh, the Scala programming language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a, they're, they're a pretty well-established company on the JVM. They wrote a manifesto of like the four traits that create a reactive system. And some of these .NET developers are familiar with already but don't know it. So yeah, so the four the four traits of a reactive system are that it's responsive, that it's resilient, that it's elastic, and that it's message driven. Mm-hmm. So .NET developers, if they've used reactive extensions before, for instance, already have used some of these properties in their applications. And the whole message driven nature of it is the one that's most sort of visible to a mm-hmm. developer because that really affects every single line of code you write. Yeah. Um, instead of using a you know method invocation on a class. You're sending a message to some destination, and you may get a message back. You might get a hundred messages back, or you might get none. Totally depends on how it's written. Um, but that's a; these are all traits that help 
are really going to help .NET developers build the next generation of distributed systems. So what's interesting to me architecturally is you have these actors that are independent. Does any one actor have a reference to any other actor? In other words, when I send a message, do I say, send a message to that guy? Or do I send it to a central uh, authority that then dispatches the messages to somehow? That's a great question. So all actors in Akka.net are organized into hierarchies. So every actor has a parent, and, and actors also might have children. So every actor has a built-in reference to its parent and any children that it has. So mm-hmm. anything adjacent to it on the, on the hierarchy. Uh, but if you want to send a message to an actor on a remote system or an actor that it doesn't directly have a reference to, you have the ability to generate what's called an actor selection, which is the equivalent of saying, I want to send a message to an actor at this address. And you pass it in this URL looking thing, which is, which is an actor path in Aka.net. And then the system is able to iteratively sort of figure out how to route it there. So at that point, there is a little bit of central routing logic, although it's done in a fairly decentralized way. Um, okay. And then when you're sending remote messages, there is a... There is a central actor responsible for coordinating that with each network connection that that particular actor process is connected to. So the answer is uh, it's a lot. It's largely uh, decentralized. If you get an actor reference, that's like a handle to a, a actor instance that has definitely existed at some point in the past. You can write messages directly to that without having to talk to anybody else. But if you want to get a reference to an actor where you don't know if they exist or not yet, then you have to go through a little bit of central plumbing to figure that out. Okay. And here, here's another thing that uh, always, you know, the, the questions that come into my head are vast and I have to filter them out. But I think one fundamental question is, um, th- this model sounds really awesome. And I'm trying to find like a, a really good use case for it. And then a bunch of anti-use cases for it. Because as you know, you know, we developers, when we find some new tool, technology, model, or whatever, we like to see all of the places where we can stuff it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, so where is it appropriate? Where is it inappropriate? The general guidance I give on where Aka.net is appropriate is any place that is a naturally concurrent problem is a great use case for mm-hmm. Aka.net. So mm-hmm. a good example of this is like multiplayer video games. Yeah. Um, on either end of the connection, there's lots of events firing in parallel that need to be coordinated between all the players in a game instance. So Aka.net and actors are perfect uh, for that use case. Other examples might include social applications or anything that uses signal R really is a, yeah. is a good fit uh, for with Aka.net. And then there's a couple of really high performance and high scale problems. Like, for instance, some of the customers that we work with at Petabridge are doing Internet of Things, where they're tracking, you know, the positions of a large fleet of vehicles, mm-hmm. or they're getting sensor data from a bunch of remote devices deployed out in the field, you know, doing some telemetry stuff or something. Right. Being able to go and take all that sensor data, which arrives in this totally chaotic order. And turning it into organized information that business analysts can use is a problem that uh, Aka.net can do very well. That is the essential IoT problem, isn't it? It's not getting the communication going. That's pretty easy. But it's, what do you do with that data? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And how how can you make sense of it? And, uh, And how fast can you process it? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people conflate IoT with uh with sort of like home automation or hobbyist stuff. Right. Whereas the real 
where the real IoT innovation is really happening is in industry. It's in it's in areas like fleet and vehicle tracking or putting sensors on like big manufacturing lines or something like that. Um, yeah, the, the connected car in my mind is the best manifestation of it mm. because of our expectations that it'll always work. Like mm-hmm. first drive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> next do all that other stuff. Yeah. And just that sort of mindset of you, know, you talk about resiliency. That's really where you, you got to go, right? How do I ha- build a system that no matter what happens, it's always going to come back? Yeah, absolutely. So, how do you do that? I mean, I get that with hardware. The answer is reboot it. <laughs> the, the question is, how do you get software to deal with that well? So, the uh, we have a pattern that's part of both Akka and Akka.net that we recommend a lot for. This is one of the common resiliency patterns. So, we're going to publish some literature on this at some point. Sure. But we have design patterns for different types of circumstances. So if you want, if you're worried about consistency in a distributed environment, you know there's some distributed transaction and consensus patterns that we have for doing that. Um, but the most common one is our resiliency patterns. How do you isolate failures and allow the system to heal when one occurs? Right. Uh, so the number one pattern we recommend is called the error kernel pattern. Uh, what this essentially means is imagine you have one central actor. We'll call it foo. And that's responsible for some critical feature of your application. Well, let's say there's a dangerous operation you have to do as part of that. Maybe it's making a call to the network, or maybe it's running some you know, parsing algorithm that might run into a whole bunch of null reference exceptions or something else. What we do in order to provide maximum resiliency there is we create that foo actor will create a child actor. It's called bar in this case. The bar actor will be responsible for running that risky operation. And if it fails, it'll report back to its parent like, whoops, I uh, I died. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this Bye-bye. operation didn't go through. What do you want to do? Um, and so the parents, and you can actually do that hierarchically all the way up the food chain for entire hierarchies of actors can be rebooted, basically, using Akka.net's supervision methodology. Yeah. Where, Yeah. So... That gives you. That's where a lot of the resiliency stuff comes in. Is using that actor hierarchy to help push dangerous, <laughs> dangerous operations to cheap disposable actors that can be easily restarted or recreated somewhere else. Reminds me of uh, what uh, Scott Guthrie and team did with IIS in back in the days when they ran that. With you know putting in um, recycle times. Yes. You know, if it uses this, if, if we go beyond this memory threshold, just restart it. You know just a great solution to and maybe an inelegant solution but a great solution to a very what was then a common problem no it's it's it is an elegant solution you know the the way you so the way to do it right and this is how like an actor reboot works so one of the things that's kind of cool is if you are you know writing an akadana application you go and define your little foo actor and that's just, you know, you essentially just inherit from a class that's built into the Akka.net framework, untyped actor or receive actor. Mm. Uh, go ahead and write, and you might have some internal state, and you might have a couple of other things the actor does when it starts, when it cleans up. But what's really cool is that actor, the, the instance of that actor class that gets created by Akka.net when you um, basically you call the actor of method, that instance is sort of decoupled from the actor's set of mailbox, the set of messages that are being sent to it, hmm. and from some of the other pieces of state that are managed by the framework itself. So what Akka.net literally does is it destroys that actor instance, lets it get garbage collected, 
and then recreates it using the initial state it had when it first started. Uh, oh, cool. Basically recreating it using the little uh, automatic method that Aka.net creates. It's called props is the uh, little formula that we use for creating an actor. Yeah. Uh, took me over a year to figure out that they, you know, the Aka guys had named that props because actors need props in order to act. <laughs> right. Ah, sure. <laughs> so I felt really stupid when I uh, finally clicked for me. I was like, Oh man, I did. I had no <laughs> idea. That's why they named it that. <laughs> um, but, um, the whole the whole point of that resiliency pattern is that you have no idea why the actor failed, uh, but whatever state it's in obviously isn't good at the time that it failed. So let's get it back to a known good state. So you can go ahead and reboot it back to its initial state. And there's other techniques you can do to rehydrate some of the existing state that it had. We have a we have a persistence module that allows you to go and reload the actor's state from an event source in something like SQL Server or at Azure Document DB or something else. Well, it reminds me of Erlang too, where Erlang was, you know, everything is really light, runs quickly and dies just as fast. Yep. And that's just not a big deal. <laughs> Absolutely. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the bug-crushing superpower that is Raygun. If you're wanting to detect and diagnose errors and crashes in your software, even find problems that you didn't know existed to improve your software, then Raygun may be perfect for you. Add a few lines of code to your application, and in minutes you'll get real-time error reports with all the information you need to fix bugs fast. You can even hook it up to your team chat, bug tracking, and development workflow tools. Raygun covers all major web and mobile programming languages and platforms, including .NET, the full Xamarin stack, JavaScript, and many more. Go check out Raygun today at raygun.io and say hello for us. So you know, the thing we encourage people to, to think about is that actors are hilariously cheap. They are, <laughs> they are, they are a cheap In disposable resource. so many resource. ways. So many ways, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I didn't even. I'm from LA, and I didn't even think about the analogy there. Uh, you know, you um, gotta get SAG in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta get SAG in there. Leonardo DiCaprio will eventually get Best Actor, I believe. <laughs> you believe? <laughs> um, oh my! I can't believe it took us 22 minutes to get to that joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember what I was talking about. You're anymore. fully derailed. Oh, nice one. Cheap. <laughs> Yeah, uh, nice it. job, guys. But the idea um, of, of making actors really, really cheap so that you can create them and destroy them on demand, it's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, I can... And one of the code samples that we have in our... We have a public code sample repository for Petabridge. And right. uh, one of the ones I put in there is a fully integrated like microservices example. It's a web crawler. And it's uh, able to move pretty quickly. It has a Windows service that actually performs all the HTTP and parsing operations. And then it has sort of a central node that is responsible for tracking which documents are new versus which are ones we've seen before. Right. And then all that gets reported. We basically wrap a SignalR hub in an actor and pass that transparently over the wire to all of the little Windows services that are working on the job in parallel. Wow, nice. cool. And they're able to go, so they're basically able to write directly to SignalR without knowing that's what it is. Is, is, uh, is Aka.net based on SignalR? Do you use it for the messaging? 
No, we don't use it for anything. It's just uh, a technology that tends to work pretty well in concert mm. with it because it has a similar model, right? right. Sockets in general have this sort of uh, push, push, pull, doesn't matter right? Uh, sort of way of uh, uh, basically propagating messages and data back and forth. And that just tends to play very nice with uh, the message passing model. Um, so I, I kind of think of SignalR and Aka.net as kind of like peanut butter and chocolate that uh, they tend to go pretty well together. Nice. Um, one of the things that I have done in the past, though, at Marked Up, where I really started first using, I had a need for Aka.net in production that was pretty acute, was we used SignalR to actually debug our, our actor systems in production. Uh, we had a, a little message logging system I could use to figure out if a network connection was having some trouble getting messages over the wire or if we were having issues writing our really big sort of state machine dumps to Cassandra. And I use SignalR for doing all that because that ended up being a lot easier than trying to, this because the volume of events we were dealing with was insane. It was like, I don't know, 12 or 15,000 messages per second. Right. Um, those are the incoming, those are like the incoming messages. All the internal local ones were some multiple of that. <laughs> and the system could handle that at like, you know, this is on a medium size AWS instance, could handle that at like 10 or 15% CPU utilization. Wow. It didn't really break a sweat doing that. When this is that uh, philosophy of just do, no try, just do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> very, very Yoda-esque. And, and again, I keep equating this back to Erlang because that was their whole mentality. It's like the effort to check whether you'll fail or not will take longer than just trying it and fail. Yes. So stop it. Just try. It'll be okay. Yeah, exactly right. If that actor dies, you'll find out really quickly. And, and, um, and, yeah, or it'll work and you'll have be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both exactly. good outcomes. That's right. I, you know, I don't want to get too far into the show without calling back to some of the stuff that Shaw talked about uh, in his study of ACA a few months ago uh, around uh, monitoring and um the uh, instrumentation options, uh, supervision and fault handling. So, funny, we just sort of indicted fault handling. Why would you handle that fault? Just let it happen <laughs> and move on, right? Right. Yep. What? Any comments on you know where did you finally land on the monitoring side? I presume you didn't go AOP. No, we still haven't gone AOP. In fact, uh, that component that Roger referenced, Aka monitoring, is the name of it, and it mm. still is on my GitHub. Uh, I just got a pull request from a, a one of our production users who is using that to do monitoring at a, a, a at a real sort of industrial scale. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's um, that's kind of just a actor system extension that I wrote. So Aka.net has a pretty good plugin model that anyone could write their own components for, and I wrote one that allows basically allows you to go and uh, define a pretty standard set of metrics. So I use right. the same vernacular that uh, Graphite and StatsD use. So that's the concept of gauges. So measuring you know, how many messages per minute you're doing. And then counters and then timers. So how long did this operation take? Um, and uh, I basically came up with a system for being able to generically drain those metrics into whatever source you want. At Marked Up, we happen to be using StatsD. Right. So I, I wrote one for that. But if you're using Grafana or you know some other you know SaaS uh, monitoring solution, all that can work. Uh, but the monitoring story for Aka.net isn't truly finished yet. Uh, we're going to probably go down the route of having to build some of that plumbing directly into the framework because my plugin can't get access to stuff like measuring the length of the mailbox queue of this type of actor, mm, yeah, or measuring the. I'm trying to think of another good example. 
measuring the wait time uh, between messages and that sort of really super low level metrics that frankly probably aren't that useful, but uh, we still want to have the option of measuring them. Um, though, so we really do need to have a built into Akka.net solution for doing that. So the next parts of our roadmap for what we're going to be doing with Akka.net down the road is one, getting our clustering uh, technology up and up and running. So that's something that I've been working on for about six months. Uh, and I've been working on that in concert with one other uh, sort of core contributor in Akka.net. And we, there was no way we were going to get that ready for the 1.0 release because a lot of the behavior in the clustering system is extremely subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, dealing with things like what happens when a node dies, restarts, and then attempts to rejoin before this thing happens or that thing doesn't happen, you name it. Wow, so, so that's quite a quite a state machine or something that you have to keep going on in the background to be able to deal with problems like that, I imagine. Yeah, we have, the, we have this... Um, Basically, every single actor has a a little a little window of history of what's happened. Not every single actor, excuse me. Every single process in a Akka cluster has some information about its peers, okay, and a brief like window of history about what are the events we've seen from the network. Who's joined? Who's unreachable? Who's up? Okay, um, and then. We also have a flavor of that for recording metrics about each machine. So, what level of CPU utilization and memory are all these nodes at? Sounds interesting. We can use that information for routing. So if you want to use Akka.net with Autoscale on Azure, these are two technologies that actually play pretty well together. Uh, We can make it so anytime a new instance comes up, all of the work is routed to it first because it's under no load, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah, time to announce my new album of retro music from 70s B-films with bad actors. It's called waka 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 dot net. Oh no. Oh come on. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, man. That's horrible. Uh actually it's time to give away a component one studio enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first let me tell you about component one's .NET controls. For professional developers, whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps you deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Check them out at ComponentOne.com. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Dino Safarakos. Congratulations, Dino. Yeah. Good job, Dino. Good job, Dino. Dino just won the Component One Studio Enterprise. It's a big pile of awesome from Component One. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 in the form of a technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to join to win. And we also like to ask our guests, Aaron, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy, sir? If I had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would I spend it on? That's right. You know, uh, two things spring to mind. I would, one, buy the full gold-plated Xamarin license. Okay. For, for Xamarin Studio and being able to deploy iOS apps from Visual Studio. Not that I have time to do that right now, but that sounds totally awesome. So I'd throw down some money on that. Um, 
Then I think I'd probably buy an army of Raspberry Pi machines to make yeah. my own little uh, cluster here. Yeah. A hundred of them? <laughs> oh, so, as many as I could get. You know, I'd just, <laughs> I, I don't know what my electricity bill would be, but I'd do something cool with it. You know? I would go with the centralized power supply at that point. <laughs> That's a lot of wall warts. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you go. Maybe some weird power distribution network or something. Many, many wires. Yeah, or wireless. You could sit around and glow. Awesome. Yeah. yeah go ahead and done. cook food in the middle of my raspberry cluster. Get some Tesla coils going. You were, you were going to cook it anyway. It was going to be pretty hot in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of Teslas, Richard, did you see uh, Adam Kogan's post on Facebook? His April Fool's His Day April gag? April Fool's. So Adam Kogan has a Tesla. And as an April Fool's Day gag, he had a picture of him standing next to it and had a buddy Photoshop a big dent like it got into a huge accident. And I mean like the whole quarter panel was taken out. And it looked awesome. <laughs> and he says, oh, man, I must have the only uh, Tesla that's been in an accident in Australia. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. It looked so good, though, I thought it was real. Yeah, he pulled a he pulled a fast one. No two ways about it. So let me bring this back to stateful applications. Started talking about the the stuff that you're keeping around, but what are, what about when you're writing apps with Aka.net? There are two types. You can write a stateful app, or you can write or a service, or you can write a stateless. And what what's the difference between the two? And why are stateful apps becoming a thing? I thought we didn't like state. State's evil. Keep it out. <laughs> At least no, in the um, object world, anyway. <laughs> you know, so here's here's my take on uh, on this. Um, the whole thing that got me into Aka.net was at Marked Up, we had designed this great analytics system. It was essentially uh, doing real-time dashboards for Windows 8 developers who wanted to see how many installs they got and our... Our sort of big differentiating feature is that we could do this all instantly for you. That the reports would just update within you know a fraction of a second of an event actually being observed by our service, uh, and that went great. But when we wanted to move into marketing automation, which was essentially the ability to react to those events and then send something back to the user, maybe it's a, a offer to go and buy some in-app purchase at some discounted price, whatever. I, I did the math and I was like, wait a minute, you. Uh, can't really build a service like this without having state inside the application itself. Uh, the application really needs to be able to observe events for an individual user in order to react to them. You can't possibly make this work by round tripping to Cassandra or SQL Server or you know some uh, in-memory cache or something over and over again. It just won't work. All the events kind of need to be coalesced for one user in one very local place. So. The idea behind stateful applications is that there's, I guess, really two areas where they are they are really realistically the only option mm -hmm. that you there is no way to build it without having a there's no way to really build it without a stateless system. Uh, one is these sort of reactive applications where things need to happen in a relatively sort of real-time fashion. So I'm not talking about hard real-time programming, like if you're building an ICBM or something. I'm talking about building you know, video games, social apps, these uh, marketing automation analytics tools where you need to be able to observe n number of events in real time and then make a decision about what to do with them. Mm. 
the fact of the matter is, if you have to, one, distribute those events over a bunch of different application servers and then have to have them flush their data to a database and then you have to have them read from that database what the current state of the system is and make a decision it's ugly you're one gonna miss whatever event it is because of the your real-time constraints of it but two you're gonna tax your system to hell um and it's not gonna be able to do its job so in that case what you have to do and here's the solution is really really elegantly simple is you just keep your state inside the application and make the app the single source of truth for a limited period of time. Obviously, right. you do want to keep your state in this sort of ephemeral form forever. That's just crazy. Yeah. But keeping it so the application is sort of the single source of truth and it treats the database like a hard backup in the event that it goes down. When you think about your application programming that way, it allows you to tackle these sorts of problems that you can't normally address with something like ASP.net. Sure. So that's, and it, you find that people want to treat it like ASP.NET, asking for like session state and all of that stuff. You know, most of the people who've uh, approached the Aka.NET uh, uh, sort of Gitter chat and all of our sort of community outlets seem to get it that they that they're trying to basically use uh, they're trying to use Aka.NET the way it's really intended. Um, I haven't seen anyone try to you know round trip everything to SQL Server or anything like that. Um, in fact, a lot of the a lot of the engagements we've had where people reached out to Petabridge specifically for consulting have been because, you know, we have this old system that worked great up until a point where we were just using ASP.NET and SQL Server or ASP.NET and, you know, some queuing system like RabbitMQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really just started to buckle under the amount of business we're doing now. And we need a system that allows us to be a lot more intelligent on what we write back to back to SQL Server. Yeah. Um, and so people tend to, people tend to get it. That's good. I'm sure, I'm sure as the, as the sort of user, because right now we're still in the really super early adopter stage, right? Uh, I'm sure as our user base starts to grow, we're going to get a lot more questions like that. And it's really just a matter of educating, uh, educating developers on the possibilities that they can create for themselves. If they lo- don't treat state like the enemy and just sure, treat it right. like a tool you can use. So what are some of the architectural patterns that you recommend or that are, are useful either in uh, actor models in general or in Aka.net in particular? In I think this, is, this works for all actor models. Um, but one of the patterns I really recommend, and this is for stateless programming, is and I'm going to use the Aka.net dialect for this. So I, apologies in advance to any Orleans users out there. Um, but the one pattern that I really recommend using for stateless programming is, I guess I call it the uh, commander pattern, where you basically have one central actor that is responsible for tracking the state of some operation. Um, so let's say like my web crawler example, I have one actor that's responsible for figuring out uh, when the job is finished is really its only, its only responsibility. Uh, how, how much more work is there that needs to be performed at any given time? So you have one actor that acts as the commander that tracks some state about the job that every other actor underneath it is a stateless sort of grunt that can just die and be replaced really easily. And so uh, you essentially have underneath the commander actor, you have a router. This is the Aka.net specific terminology. And we have lots of different routing strategies, uh, but the most common one that people use is round-robin routing, which is pretty familiar. Uh, you, underneath that router, 
you go ahead and put as many, and you, you make this configurable, by the way. This is something you can do via app.config in Aka.net. You go ahead and specify some number of routees, and then you go and build out a big hierarchy underneath that of all the little grunts that need to participate in a, in a given job. And what's cool about this is that if you design your application this way from day one, it'll work great in a local process. Like, let's say you're just running this application for doing whatever this job is inside a... Uh, a Windows service, or maybe a little console application. You can take that exact same code, written that way, and get it to work in a clustered environment across the network just as easily, because that little router can be configured to deploy its routees onto different machines on the network as soon as the cluster discovers them. So essentially, you've just enabled your system to take advantage of auto-scaling and a whole bunch of, of other great you know, public cloud computing stuff without having to rewrite your code at all by just taking advantage of that. So that's one pattern that I, I use everywhere, use it all the time. Um, and then one of the other patterns I do is sort of, uh, I guess it's a separation of responsibility uh, pattern specific to actors. So one of the things that we do when we think about you know, writing controllers in ASP.NET MVC is that we have these sort of lasagna layers of services, right? You've got your little layer, uh, you got a little service that you know, maybe take some input from a HTTP post or some other HTTP verb, transforms it into some data transfer object. We'll, and call, then that that one, gets, we'll call that one ricotta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what'd you call it? Ricotta. Ricotta. <laughs> ah, ricotta. Ricotta, yes. yeah. Yes. Have another layer called spinach. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so, just trying to play along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, took, took, me a, took me a minute to catch on there. And um, I've derailed so you again. I'm sorry. We, no, we can edit this to make me sound smart. It's totally cool. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so I was going to say, with respect to that, is that's how you design a controller. Yeah. In Aka.net and Actors, you can decouple those lasagna layers into their own little standalone actors. Uh, and that's a good idea in a lot of cases because a lot of those operations are fundamentally stateless, which means that they're easy to distribute and easy to retry. So one of the patterns that we recommend for doing that is I don't think every single actor that does need to store something to SQL Server or whatever your data store of choice is should do that. You should rather have a central set of actors that are responsible specifically for just making sure that writes get flushed to SQL Server. And that allows you to do other cool things when you decouple it like that to add features like exponential back off and retry in the event that a particular write failed. And the original actor who received the request from the front end to save something doesn't need to know about any of that. It's the detail it no longer cares about. Mm -hmm. so, that's a, so that sort of decoupling is a good one. And then the last pattern that off the top of my head that I'm a really big fan of is being able to, um, I guess this is sort of a design slash testability pattern, but being able to take... Um, being able to basically take, uh, I guess it's, a little, it's like a little pub-sub technique that mm -hmm. is trivially easy. We have an example of it in our Aka.net bootcamp. It's a little free self-directed training course that we that we do. You can check it out by going to just learnaka.net. Okay. Um, and we have an example of how to do pub-sub in there. So pub-sub pub is a pattern that plays very nicely with Aka.net, and no one believes how trivially simple it is. Okay. Um, so Simpler I have than SignalR. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So 
I have to show them. So I have a little code sample where PubSub and Akka.net is literally as simple as inside your actor. The actor's internal state is always thread safe in Akka.net. Cool. And you just maintain like a hash set of actor references uh, that are subscribed to some topic. And then every time you receive a message of that topic, you literally just do a for each loop and then forward the message onto them. And that's it. You've done, you've got PubSub. People make it out to be some extremely complicated thing that requires this central coordinator message brokery thing and all this other stuff. But really it's as simple as just, you know, a a collection plus some message types and that's it. Um, And we use that everywhere in, uh, as part of, you know, building a reactive system you basically are able to go ahead and say, all right, I'm just going to subscribe to updates from this actor that, rece- I, I, that I know receives these types of messages, and it'll just push them into me whenever whenever, uh, whenever it gets them. Yeah. So allows you to really not worry about having to – you don't have to push the string. You know what I mean? Um, everything just sort of gets pulled into you when a message comes in. So we use that a lot in clustered environments too, where I can go ahead and subscribe to messages on a machine that's deployed in a totally different data center if I want. Um, and so that pub sub model is really, really trivial to implement that people don't believe me. So I have to show it all the time. (laughs) Um, so that's another one that I like a lot. And there's, uh, I've got dozens more that I, really don't have good names for and haven't haven't really thought hard enough to articulate them well yet but that's something that I'm going to I'm going to work on as part of a uh, part of our training material that we produce. Well, it is a different way of thinking as well. I I, I got to presume most people who work in Aka.net are using C sharp. Do you get a lot of F sharp folks? Cuz I would think this is more up their ballywick too. It's very functional. We have a very strong F-sharp community. And in fact, Roger, one of the genius things he did really early on in the Aka.net project, before it was even called Aka.net, the original name of the framework was Pigeon back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it upgraded. Yeah, we upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> we have Pigeon, Pigeon evolved into Aka.net. So okay. Wow. Lame, lame Pokemon reference for anyone out there. Oh, okay. Um, but um, the the bottom line with uh, with what Roger did was he implemented a very simple F sharp API super early on, and then Don Syme got a hold of it and was like, "This is great!" and promoted it out to all of all of his folks on on uh, Twitter and everywhere else. And then we got some really strong F sharp contributors uh, who came back and uh, began actually implementing like a proper sort of idiomatic F sharp API. And a lot of the people who speak about Akka.net at user groups and conferences are F-sharp users. So overwhelmingly, our user base is C-sharp developers, and most of the contributors are too. But our most vocal champions are F-sharp devs. Um, and we have a lot of, uh, and there's a lot, a lot of good reasons for that, just because, as you point out, this plays very nicely into, a, into the sort of people with a functional programming background already. Yeah. Um, so I think that's... I think that one of the things that we are going to spend a little bit more time on down the road is all of our, because most of the contributors are all C sharp guys. Um, we, all of our examples and documentation speak pretty strictly to sort of C sharp patterns and practices. Right, sure. I think one of the active things we're going to try to do is recruit more F sharp contributors to our code base to sort of make sure that we're at total parity there because we're, we're not exactly at, um, from a feature standpoint, I think we're at parity, but from a documentation and literature and just resources standpoint, we're not. Uh, so that's a problem that uh, that's a problem that I think we'll be able to be able to solve with just by 
making it helping them helping F sharp contributors figure out where they can where they can make a difference really. Um, mm. So that's a so that's a that's a great question. And really, I think the F sharp community has gotten me to sort of help broaden my horizons a little bit. One of the one of the really critical lessons of working with uh, actors in any platform is that your message classes have to be immutable uh, for the obvious reason that, well, actually it's not, I take that back. It's not obvious at all. Uh, your messages need to be immutable between actors because let's suppose that you include like a, a normal collection, like a list in a message you send back. Mm. Well, if you go and send that message to four different actors, uh, so you go and broadcast it to four actors and every single actor makes a modification to that list. Well, that meant that uh, the state is going to be, it's going to need to be synchronized with a lock or something all of a sudden, which defeats the entire point of using actors as a concurrency primitive to begin with. So what you want to do is make sure that that's, uh, all the contents of that message are immutable. They can't be modified that way. Yeah. And that's a design constraint that, that uh, C-sharp developers have to enforce throughout their message classes. And F-sharp is just automatic. All the, all mess, all, basically, unless you explicitly declare something as mutable, everything's immutable by default. Right. So that's a whole area of concern they don't even have to worry about. And uh, I've spent a ton of time inside the code base of Aka.net making sure that, in particular with the clustering stuff, all of our built-in messages are immutable. So when I realized that F-sharp just does this for me automatically, I was like, oh, crap. I should really be, I should be using that more often. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what if you're not building the next big thing? You know, you're not, you're just, you have a, you know, the standard CRUD app that everybody writes over and over again in some business and is is the actor model in Aka.net going to help us at all there? Yeah, absolutely. The you know so one of the things that Orleans focuses on a bunch. Getting back to that uh, reader email you you read at the very beginning of mm. the uh, of the of the podcast today, Orleans has a built-in bias for high highly available distributed systems, and so that's really what Orleans was purpose built to do. Aka.net can do that too, but the analogy I like to use is that Orleans is more like buying a prefabricated house. You know, all the faucets are the same size, all the you know carpeting is done the exact same way, you name it. Mm. Um, but Aka.net is a little bit more like Home Depot. That you have it's a framework that just requires only the CLR and has a lot of different tools that expose different levels of abstraction depending on what your problem is. So let's say you're just building a, you know, here's a good example. Let's say you're just building a WPF app and you don't have any need for any distributed programming whatsoever. Well, one of the things that Aka.net does really nicely is makes it really easy to dispatch events automatically onto the UI thread that occur as a result of other background tasks. So let's say if you need to go and do some, some asynchronous thing on the file system or respond to some timer that's going off, being able to go and push and dispatch those events out of the UI thread is something that Aka.net does very well, does seamlessly actually. Um, and you don't have to you don't have to think about it at all. You just create the actor that's responsible for updating UI elements in such a way where it's a basically we have a special dispatcher, which is uh, essentially it's the invoker that's responsible for instantiating the actor every time it receives a message, uh, and that uh, little invoker can be bound to the UI thread. And it has no no real overhead associated with it whatsoever. Mm. It only works when a message is being dispatched. 
So you can go ahead and create one actor responsible for updating n number of UI updates and have a whole bunch, a whole hierarchy of other little asynchronous actors all push their events to it and have everything neatly serialized on the UI thread afterwards. That's compelling. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's a compelling argument that I haven't heard before. Yeah, and you know, one of the examples we show in our little uh, Aka.net bootcamp is we have we actually have our users in the second unit uh, when we teach them how to use the scheduler. This is a way of sending uh, regularly recurring messages on a timer in Aka.net. Uh, we basically have them build performance monitor in Windows Forms. So you're mm-hmm. literally graphing the performance counters for uh, memory, CPU, and disk utilization. Wow, cool. And... All, and the amount of code it takes to do that in terms of the actual eventing code mm. is trivially small. Yeah. So wow. one of the other uses, let's talk about like ASP.NET. So okay. you're not building the next big data thing. You're just building a standard ASP.NET application and, and want to find a, what, f- figure out if there's anything Aka.NET can do to really help you there. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that Aka.net gives you the ability to do inside an ASP.net instance is access to, again, those same concurrency primitives. So one example might be, let's say you have a task that you need to, that you need to execute involving, I don't know, maybe sending a batch of emails to people on a, on a mailing list when something happens. Sure. Some, you know, some HTTP verb. Sure. So that's, a, that's an opportunity where that's a fundamentally stateless task right there. Yep. You can use the TPL Parallel 4 for that. But what if you do want to have some retry logic built into that, where if an email send fails, we have the ability to queue it up and try it again n number of times until we give up. Mm-hmm. Make it a little bit more reliable than what just the built-in TPL Parallel 4 can do. You can use actors for that. Uh, you don't need to distribute them or use any of our clustering or remoting modules. You can do that right there in process. Bootstrapping an actor system inside global ASAX you know, for an ASP.NET application is extremely common. And that's the primary way people integrate it into their web apps is just they put a razor thin actor system into ASP. And because creating actors is so cheap, you can go ahead and create a thousand actors per HTTP request. And the amount of time to do that is minimal. Hmm. Um, they're, they're not a heavyweight resource. I recommend reusing actors, by the way, don't, <laughs> don't create a thousand actors yeah. per request because you can. Yeah. Um, but the, the way we think about resources as .NET developers, uh, changes a little bit when you start looking at, at these actors, because like uh, Rich has been saying, it's all borrowed from Erlang. These are cheap disposable assets that right. you can throw out a problem and who cares if they die. Right. Have you seen Poly, which is a, a retry uh, circuit breaker kind of thing? You know, uh, does retry code and retry logic. I'm wondering if it uses Actor, but it's a uh, it's on GitHub. You know, I think someone meant drop that into our Gitter chat, like in the past couple of weeks, and I I did not take the time to look at it. So no, I've uh, I've not looked at it very. I'm going to use that on uh, on another better know framework, but it's a GitHub.com slash. Michael dash Wolfenden W O L F E N D E N slash poly. And I use it in a production app and I love it and it's just great. And I can just say, you know, it's especially good when you're doing anything that accesses the network, you know, because sometimes a network will drop and will come back up and whatever. And you know that if it's not up now, it'll be up tomorrow or it'll be up uh, in five minutes. So you just retry forever. That's just one of the patterns. There's a bunch of them, but it's very cool. It is cool. And I do appreciate 
you, you know, this is code you'd end up writing yourself badly. Yeah. Right? Like, just getting it out of your main code stream to somebody who's thought through all the details on that. So, you can just say, hey, retry that forever for me, would you? Yep. I think that's what's important. And it's, this is where I think libraries serve really well. Stuff that sounds trivial and just isn't. Yep. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, all of and the- I don't see ACA, I don't see ACA that way at all. Like ACA is almost philosophical. Like an implementation of the actor pattern. Like for me, it feel like you're getting me to fall into the pit of success of a fairly challenging problem. Mm. So how can we get started with ACA.net? So the best way to do it, I've mentioned the Akadanet bootcamp a couple of times. That is the absolute best way to doing it. The uh, number one quote I've sort of gotten back from any of the attendees we've had go through it is better than plural site. Good. Was the comment we got back? We've That's had about seven hundred people sign up for it, and about I think I think it's something like one hundred and fifty have actually gone all the way through it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's only been out for a few weeks. Uh, so learn Akadanet is the URL. Um, And so I would recommend going through that. Um, At some point soon here, we're going to be, you know, Petabridge, we're going to be offering some virtual trainings. So if you want to learn how to do the really advanced sort of distributed systems and high availability stuff, learning how to use persistent actors and learning how to do clustering and learning how to integrate Aka.net with stuff like end service bus or Azure event hubs, we're going to be teaching some courses on that. Um, awesome. so that'll be coming up in the next month here. Well, Aaron Standard, thank you very much for uh, sharing this with us. It's great. It's a great product, and uh, I encourage all our listeners to go check it out. Yeah, and congrats. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, Rich and Carl, thank you. I, uh, I've listened to uh, .NET Rocks every time I've had to make a long road trip out to Las Vegas, which <laughs> I, I had to do regularly. So thank you for keeping me sane during that. You bet. And don't stop listening or Richard and I will have to get real jobs. God knows. (laughs) All All right. right. Well, thanks again. uh, Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a